steps 8 and 9, and that gets us in our book to page 76, those of you who are following in a book. And we're in the middle of the page. It says, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Do any of you recognize that phrase from any other source? So from the book of James, yes? And so they weren't trying to introduce you to a new religion. They were just trying to point out for the alcoholic, who is a doubter by nature, that we need the opportunity to prove the power to us through us. We come to believe in a tangible sensory power, not in some nonsense, not a theology. We come to believe in, based on an experience of power, peace, happiness, sense of direction, and we improve consciousness of that, and we use that to serve others, and in that process we grow in consciousness, and we also find purpose in a less well-spent youth, yeah? Okay. So... Faith without works is dead because I need to continually bear witness to the restoration I've experienced. Okay? All right. So it says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Any of you have such a list? Where'd you get yours? So it sounds like you made it when you took inventory. So the, the authors say, we made it when we took inventory. Well, why do I point that out to you? Because rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. People have sat in rooms for years and they've heard that said, and they only say one path. They didn't say paths. But they never knew that there was actually a process that introduces us to the revelation of a power within us to live. And if we don't help people see that, then they have struggles. Yeah? Okay, so... It says, we made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you who did such an inventory found it drastic? How many of you who are looking at the process are thinking, eh, that sounds pretty drastic? So to a person, we expect you to have some fear. But my job as someone who's been through the process to tell you I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. Here's the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. Does it make sense? I'm not telling you to do anything I haven't done before you. And I'm not going to tell you to do it blindly. I'm going to tell you exactly the experience I had. And in fact, the sensory nature of this power, as we go through it, I'll know you're having the experience. Even if you are too unawake to know you're having it, I can call it to your attention. How many of you had someone call to your attention an experience you were having as a result of the process? Right? Because that's what we're awakening to, the spirit within us. Okay. All right. So it says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. So it wasn't enough to do inventory and it wasn't enough to share it with somebody else. All that was to arm me with the facts about myself so I can start going out and getting fit by doing the restitution that reduces the ego and improves the strength of the spirit within me. Make sense? Okay. So says, we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So here's an important discovery these guys had. Half of them atheists or agnostics, the other half believers dying in their addiction. Willingness, although flowing through us, is not of us. If I had the willingness to just go do the right thing, why didn't I do it before I burned the house down, lost everything 10 times, right? I didn't have it, and I didn't have it when I came to recovery either. But because I was loved unconditionally, because I was shown in a loving way how to move through the process and not avoid my past, willingness, because of the discipline of asking for willingness, I at least knew I was unwilling to move. How many of you knew you were unwilling to move and knew it wasn't a good idea to stay where you were? So they discovered that that's going to happen to us throughout. That's why it's a manner of living, not a workbook exercise. So we're going to have to continually ask for willing to grow along spiritual lines, whatever is indicated. Does that make sense? And then when the willingness comes, I'll know prayers are answered, won't I? Okay. So remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. They put that in italics. Why do they want me to, re they're so emphatic about reminding me of that. Very important to remind myself with whom I made the agreement and what has been the tangible result thus far. How many of you find yourself now 
in a place you couldn't have imagined maybe a year ago. So something's happened, right? And, and, and you had some help in it because you came to a place you didn't create. Yeah? But the creators of this, I know something about. We were thinking about you when we did it. Like, we did it for you, specifically, whoever you are. Okay? So probably there are still some misgivings. So anybody feeling a little misgiving about the decision you've made to sort of get out and do some, something different? Okay? So they're going to talk about what it looked like for them, and we'll try and make it apply to us. So it says, as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Those are fancy words for saying some of the people I ran with, they're a little questionable. Because <laughs> I was a little questionable. So I may feel a little funky about going to some of those questionable people on a spiritual basis. Does that make sense? And that's perfectly natural. So they're going to give us some conditions around it to help us navigate the experience. Let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So they've told us a couple things. We're going to make more than one approach, and I don't have to talk to them about uncomfortable matters such as growing spiritually on the first approach. How many of you have met that guy that suddenly had a religious experience or some spiritual experience, and they were like overly energized? Like to the point of being full of... And maybe it didn't stick, so we're a little doubtful about whether this... Okay, so I don't want to go out and start running my mouth before my feet are demonstrating what... It, they should be able to observe about me the changed nature. I shouldn't have to tell them. Does that make sense? Okay. So we might prejudice them. And we just looked at how our own prejudices blocked us from a similar experience watching people that are talking, not walking. It's fine to talk, but walk first. Right? The whole idea of 12-step recovery, the reason faith without works is dead, not only the selfish reason, because I prove the power to me through me, but works are observable. People see that I'm a changed man, and they ask me, Joe, you used to be this, and now you're that. What happened? Now, let me tell you about my God. Does that make sense? His power, his love, his way of life. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God. I love it. Some of you are with me. <laughs> maximum service to? When we say God, because some people are a little, remember, half were atheists or agnostics. So some people don't like the word God, but everybody likes the word and the experience of power. So when we say God, you say power. Because we have a God that is a God of power. Yes? Okay. All right. So our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. No, it freaks you out. But Sean's talking about the encounter that... Bill is sitting there drunk and drinking, and Ebby comes to the door, and Ebby's the one guy Bill knows, at least I'm not that bad yet. Have you guys read this book? How many of you in your addiction always maintain one person that was, at least I'm not that bad yet? So that's who Bill is for Ebby, but when Bill shows, or Ebby shows up, Ebby's sober. And then when Bill inquires, Ebby says, I got religion. And Bill's fun meter went, because <laughs> now I'm drunk and drinking, and I'm going to get a sermon. Any of you relate? But he didn't get his sermon. What he got was God met him where he was through Ebby. And, and he just talked to him for hours about his doubts, his prejudices, his experiences. And he just walked him into a new life that we are still participating in today. So anyway. All right. So says that in the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? So that's a question. They want us to go inward. When they put a question mark in this book, it's really a kind of, they call it a text. They do it for a reason. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. So when you see a question mark, you want to ask yourself, have I ever had that thought? How many of you have been afraid to announce the spiritual experience you've had because you didn't know how they would think about it? 
All right, we have whole meetings of our fellowship sometimes that shame us for trying to bring it up, don't they? I'm not mad at them. They don't know any better. But the fact is, the only thing that's going to save us is this power within us to live. We've got to boldly declare that since I've come to believe in a power greater than myself, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a radical change in my way of living and thinking. Make sense? Okay. All right. So we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with, sincere, with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. Wouldn't you be? Our effort here, all of us that were involved in this, is a collective effort to set right the missteps of our past by empowering others to enjoin the community we once were banished from. Yes? Okay. So we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. I'm trying to talk to you about my convictions with tact and common sense right now. About some experience you can see we're sharing. Does that make sense? Okay. So the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. How many of you got that guy? Some of us don't like, how many of you don't like the word hate? A lot of people don't like the word hate. So that means strongly dislike. But what we want to do is, is we want to take a look. If I'm holding on to a spirit of grievance, that's, that's very difficult. It's probably fatal for me. So I've got to find a way to let go of the spirit of grievance. So I've got to own these relationships with these people that I thought wronged me in such a way that I just, they deserve me to hate them. Huh? Okay, so it may be that he's done us more harm than we've done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. Any of you have that going on? I don't want to go approach them because when I own what I did to them, it's going to humiliate me. And besides that, they did stuff to me too. Any of you had those thoughts? What I learned through the process of amending behaviors is when I went and took ownership of what I did, I realized that when I did that to them, I humiliated me. They didn't. I picked that back up. That's mine. The humiliation's mine. And when I own my own humiliation, it becomes a tangible quality called humility. Does that make sense? Okay. So nevertheless, with the person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. What do they mean by that? I'm going to take control of the situation and move forward because I know that we need to move forward. Yeah? It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So don't get it twisted. They don't mean pick out all your enemy list and go run into them because you won't have the power to do it. You'll lack the willingness. We all do. What they're saying is when we finally get fit enough to go to the ones we hated, we find out that we learned as much from them as we learned from the ones we said we loved. So, but you're going to have to get there first. They lay it to to the wife, to the family, to the employer. Get a circle of support around you. Grow in the spirit. And then you'll find that there's another book that just have no enemies. Right? Okay. Okay. So we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So they gave you instruction there if you didn't see it. How do I get in a helpful and forgiving spirit before I go to him? Well, and they've taught me up to this point how to pray and meditate, right? They, and how it works, they've given me some idea of who I'd like to be in the future. They've started talking to me about how I'd like to be treated if the roles were reversed so I can get in a forgiving place. That makes sense? So I'm going to pray and meditate on how would I like to be approached if the roles were reversed. Yeah? Okay. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell them that we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. Do you believe that today? Because sometimes on the, before we make the amends, we don't know that that's true, and that's why we fear the amend, the approach, right? But the fact is, I'll probably never get over the spirit of grievance that causes me to want to block the consciousness of my intolerable situation. It blocks me off from the sunlight of the spirit if I hold on to grievance. So if I don't get rid of it, I'll drink or I'll use, I'll do something, because that's what I do. That make sense? Okay. 
All right, so, so we're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Did you notice how they said the same thing many times? Do you think that would indicate how many times they might have slipped up? So this is a growing process. If you come from the church, they, they would call it a process of sanctification. But you're not going to be spiritually anointed and running around in a complete absence of humanity right away. You're probably going to have an egoic attachment. And so sometimes they're going to bring something up that you don't want to claim or whatever. And you're going to find that you weren't quite prepared enough spiritually for that approach. Remember, nine is a fitness step preparing me for the big amends, which is 12. I'm amending my life and all the people that I touched unconsciously in all my years of addiction. Right? So I want to take the time in nine to get fit enough to actually go into that alcoholic and addict scene and never tell them what they should do. Their faults are not discussed. I stick to my own because the minute I start talking about their faults, I'm judging them. No one gets help from judgment. Does that make sense? All right, so our former, oh, wait a minute, oh, what did I do? Our, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So that's a promise. Get to the other side of it, you'll be gratified. Calm in manner doesn't mean calm in how you feel. Let me point that out to you. You may feel not calm, but you will appear calm if you're centered in the spirit. How many of you have had that experience? Got centered, went and did it. Sweating, shaking, but you got to the other side and go, man, I can't believe how calm you are. It didn't feel that way, did it? That's our job is to help you understand that's okay. That's the experience you were supposed to have. That was your spirit overpowering your flesh. Does it make sense? Okay. So um, it says in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of yours standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. They don't use that term rarely very often. I've heard great debates and fellowships about what rarely means. For our purposes, rarely means rarely. <laughs> don't happen often. And sometimes I've mistakenly assumed it didn't happen. When it did, I just was unaware of exactly what happening looked like. How many of you had to make approaches to families and they didn't respond right away, but in time they started reaching back out to you. So you made satisfactory progress, it just didn't feel like it, because if you're anything like me, you want, what, you want your effects pretty quick. Okay. All right, so our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well, and occasionally they'll offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part, it's water over the dam. So the point was to show up, own my part, and go. The, 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 their response to it is really not going to get in the way of my spiritual development. Does it make sense? It may be disturbing. I'm not saying it won't be disturbing. That's why you have a, a mentor or a sponsor or whatever to go back to and say that was really disturbing and talk about my egoic attachment to the moment. Because if it was truly selfless, then I would have no attachment, right? Pure creation without attachment. Does it make sense? Because they told us in three I was going to die, right? I was going to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, the hereafter. I'm reborn. i got to die before I'm born. So why the hell am I taking offense? I'm dead. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. So most alcoholics owe money. That comes as a shock to all of us. I've met one guy in all the years I've done this that says he didn't owe money when he got here. I want to give them a medal. <laughs> um, we do not dodge our creditors. Tell them that we're telling them what we're trying to do. We make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. So they're not saying go tell everybody about your addiction history, your incarceration history, whatever. But if they need to know it for where you're trying to go, then don't be afraid of disclosing it because that's who you are. Be authentic. That's what they're saying. Does that make sense? Okay. So approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. 
arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So how would they know that I was sorry? I'm not demanding anything from them. I'm offering to them. I'm asking them if there's more I can do. It's a changed nature for me. If you've had any encounters with me, right? Uh, especially in active addiction. Okay. All right, so our, our, our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. How many of you got yourself in a financial jam, had some clean time, and then spun off again? So it's a pretty common experience. We know it, right? We know it happens. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. Anybody? Look at who I'm talking to. Right? Perhaps. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good, and we've already admitted this in, in confidence to another person, so they're assuming I did what? I took an inventory of myself and I shared it with another. Okay? Why did I do that? I was preparing the testimony, now I'm going to start delivering that testimony of the redemption I've experienced. Right? And so it's all part of that process. If I won't disclose it to the person who loves me unconditionally, I'm damn sure not going to disclose it to the one I still think I hate. Make sense? It's all preparatory. This process should make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you say, Joe, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And we'll go, we'll go through it again. Because if it doesn't make sense, you can't move into it consciously. And we're supposed to build a conscious relation, which requires a conscious choice. Does it make sense? Don't trick them. Show them, tell them what they're experiencing, tell them why you know what they're experiencing. Why do you think I know when you experience something? Because there's one who has all power, and that one is? And when we're working together to free us both, guess what? We share that same power. And since I've had a little time in the path, those of us had a little time in the path, we're aware of that flow in us, and we know even when you're unaware that that flow is happening. Same, and we also know when it's not. When you're holding something back, we know you're holding our hit. Give it up. Yeah? Okay. So we may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be in prison or lose our job if it were known. How many of you had that fear? If I cop to this, I'm going to be in trouble. How many of you didn't cop to it and got in trouble anyway? <laughs> so did we really avoid anything? No. We just postponed it and went through another however long. All right, so maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Many of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony, number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. So they're going through things. Don't get caught up if you've never been married. If you've never done any of these things, don't get caught up in that. Just look at the difficulties that you've had with interpersonal relationships and see if any of them fit. Does it make sense? Because we try and over-personalize it, and then it doesn't, we, we want to be different. But it's, it's important to find ourselves in this crew, because that's the whole model. Find yourself here. People with lived experience will help walk through it with you. Yeah? Okay, so although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So they just said what I just said. All these reparations take innumerable forms, but they have some general principles for us to apply to us regardless of the situation. Is that helpful? Okay. So reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Did you know that's what we were doing in 12-step recovery? A lot of people think it's about abstinence. We have whole celebrations about abstinence and how long you've been abstinent. I'm not any good at being abstinent. Any of you know what? How many of you can remember those first day or days out of addiction? And you were out. And you had no spiritual solution. Was it fun? So the idea isn't that we remain abstinent. I'm trying to find a spiritual experience, power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into me, and then share that with others. And in the process, I'm able to go out and invoke the spirit in me to produce for me spiritual inebriation rather than abstinence. Does that make sense? Ease and comfort from within without going out in the world to get it. Okay. So, what is the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken to the spirit, the tangible nature of the spirit, right? It doesn't say having sobered up. 
as a result of these steps. It says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Okay. All right. So, so it says if we've gone to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. They're clearly talking to you about asking for willingness if you've got a reparation that's going to likely or potentially have a bad outcome for you or perceivably bad outcome. Make sense? So we may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. We kind of looked at that, right? Some of us tried to hold back, and then we ended up going and getting in trouble anyway. Yeah? Okay. So usually, however, other people are involved. So now they're going to talk to us about those others, except when to do so would injure them or others. So we're never others. I know we've, I've had people in the fellowship teach that, but that's simply false. I'm me, and I'm writing a whole inventory about what this power has done through me, and part of that was my interactions with others, and, and I'm going to now find out what that is. Okay? So therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went, and got, went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, so what's that mean? He'd met, he'd met some alcoholics, and he'd started at least coming around to the groups. Maybe he was starting through the process. Yeah, he'd commenced the manner of living suggested in this book, right? Including meeting regularly, and praying and meditating on how to help the man who still suffers with you, okay? So he had secured a position and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive, impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. So that does sound like impressive heroics, doesn't it? Does the growth of the spirit benefit from impressive heroics? Nope. Nope. It was just another act of something. Self. Yeah. Just another manifestation of self. Exactly right. So we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So now they're talking about the others. The family he's with now, the family who's mad that he's not taking care of his obligations, the new employer he just got a job with and now is counting on him, and if he goes to jail, he's not going to be at work, and he's not going to have any money for either family. So those are the others involved in this thing. Does that make sense? Okay. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. So which of those things do you think was most impactful for her? I hear some people saying money. I think probably the entirety of it. I'd just like you to just generate in your mind that whole experience. Try and bring it forth consciously. I... I hope someday you can forgive me. You didn't deserve to be treated this, this way. Here's something and a payment, and I'm going to try and do this every month going forward. And I didn't do any of that to stop you from sending me to jail. If you want me to go to jail, I'm still willing to do that. And that that's, that's changed nature, isn't it? Okay. So it goes on to say, of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. But they just showed you what any links might look like in a real sense, and he had no way of knowing until she didn't ask him to be jailed that she wasn't going to demand that he be jailed. And I see Jeff's here tonight. I remember the first night I met Jeff a lot of years ago. He walked into a PON meeting fresh out of treatment. Never been in recovery before ever. But 10 years plus, wasn't it, Jeff? And Jeff had a pending charge. And Jeff came and he chaired this meeting. A lot of us know him all through that time. He chaired the meeting right up to the time of his sentencing. And he went and did his five, seven years, whatever it was, five and a half, whatever it took. And he ministered in there all the time he was in. He took people through the steps and he came right back to us once he got out. So that's what any links might look like. If you knew him inside, they called him coach. Okay, so this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival. 
giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? Question mark. So I'm going to go inward now based on the instruction I've got. What right did he have? None without their permission, right? So he had to go talk to all these people about what had happened and get their permission, the family, the job. Yes, does it make sense? Now this guy was not a fellowship guy. He was an old Oxford group member. He was more of a church guy. And so to him, not being able to go back to the church family was a huge thing. Huge. And so if you never had a church family, you were in the recovery family, did any of you ever steal the seven tradition money? <laughs> then you got to go back and cop to it. So you can kind of relate to what this cat's doing. So. What happened is he was out drinking. The guy gave him some money for the church fund. He drank it away. So he had an explanation, but not one he cared to give, right? And then he went back and said, no, he never gave it to me. So the guy was ruined. The whole church was defrauded. And he's got this going on with him. I can't go to my church family. I can't go back. But I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay? So... He, the next question is, how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Well, how could he? He doesn't even know all the people he defrauded because he doesn't even know all the people who were in the church at that time. And he doesn't know who's there now. He hasn't been able to attend his church for many years, it'll go on to tell us. So the only way he could do it is to follow their suggestion, right? To get into, how would I like to be approached if the roles were reversed? If I, if I defrauded them in mass, I need to go own it in mass. Now you're starting to see what it is. How many of you have a church family and know how hard that would be? That would take some prayer, yes? So now he's talking to you about what any lengths might look like. So after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. See, there's, there's biblical truth revealed that when we defraud the spirit, it's life-ending. Yes? So this is where this guy's operating from. He can't continue to do this if he wants to continue to live. Does that make sense to you? And he, he's deathly afraid of this. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again. And all would be lost anyhow. How many of you got to a place where you either had to grow or go? So we all can relate to him there, yeah? Okay. He attended church for the first time in many years, and after the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. Can you imagine how hard that would be to do? So he says his action met widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. So they're telling you through his testimony, even though he wasn't one that contributed to this, he was just one they knew, but they're telling you, so that you can know years later, that the thief of the church fund became the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of God. Pretty cool, huh? Okay. So, the chances are that we have domestic troubles. Anyone surprised by that? Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. This was written at a time where they didn't acknowledge that women were also in here, but perhaps were mixed up with men, women, you know, whatever your flavor is. Um, we doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people, but drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. How many of you can relate to that? Where's my meth users? Complicating sex relations in the home is kind of an understatement, isn't it? That's true. Most of us in that, yeah. Anyway, so after a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How many of you had a partner in a relationship that was worn out, resentful, and uncommunicated? So what they go on to say is, how could she be anything else? I've got to get to a place where I can see life through their eyes with me. So eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. I can see 
that any number of you were worn out, resentful, and uncommunicated, but the reality is if you were exposed to me, how could you be anything else? Does that make sense? That's a turnaround. Okay? The husband begins to feel lonely and sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. How many of you have got into recovery and did it? <laughs> How many of you went to, to your AA or your NA or your whatever recovery meeting to find that dream boat? Look, man, I, I'm not questioning where we meet people and none of my business. I just, we do some silly things, right? Um, and I, you know, we do run a rather large reentry center here. And, you know, some people would suggest that going to the reentry center to meet your future next ex <laughs> is a bad plan. Although we know it happens. And we're okay with it. Sort of. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you met him or her? In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? So what we're talking about is I don't need to mentally masturbate on what their depth of understanding is. What I need to do is find out how harmful I'm behaving towards them and others given that I really don't offer much at this stage of my development. Does that make sense? Okay. A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? How sure are you? <laughs> so they say not always we think because some of us have a strong opinion and some people, whatever. So again, we're trying to get, no one outside of you has answers for you. The answers for you are in you. By this stage of your development, we're trying to get you, go inward. Go inward for your answers. Okay. All right. So not always we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? No, because that might be a difficult experience, right? How many of you have asked for details and got details? It's hard to get that out of the head, ain't it? So that's really not a compassionate act to give details. It's a deflection. Does it make sense? But you need to know that yourself. You may go find out. But, okay. Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel, we ought to say to her, that we have no right to involve another person. How many of you have had that feeling? How many of you weren't able to keep quiet anyway? Okay, so I probably shouldn't involve another person, but sometimes I'll feel compelled to involve another person. They're going to talk to us about that too. All right, so we're sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further, though there may be, Justifiable exceptions. So that's what I'm talking to you about, justifiable exceptions. Who's justifi whose justification are we talking about? Usually mine. Because I, although I can learn from the experience of others, I am amazingly reluctant to do so. <laughs> I insist on having my own experience, how, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Any of you relate to me? So I had justifiable exceptions. That's all I'm trying to tell you. I went ahead and spilled it, who she was and where she was. And the minute I did that, the focus went from me. Again, I told you it was a deflection. The focus went from me and went to the other person who had been wronged by me the same way the other one was. But now I've ruined another relationship, potentially. Does that make sense? All right, so and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So how do we find the best course to take? Exactly what I just explained. We, we, we come up with a justification and take it for a test flight and see how bad the burn is. Okay. And all you got to do is get up and tell the story later. Right. Anyway, our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. Wise, yes. That's probably a little tidbit that she should learn on her own. Yeah. 
Um, it's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. So I don't want to produce that experience in someone else. I don't have a right to do that. That's what they're trying to get me to see. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an inf intimate situation. So who's an outsider? Everybody else. Everything. This, I'm going into the spirit, and I'm going to find out what's up. Does it make sense? The spirit knows what all of us need. So it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. So what they're talking to us about is a military metaphor to say, if I'm really going to be demonstrating good leadership, I should not be telling them how they should think or feel in this matter. I should be demonstrating my detachment from it while offering compassion for it. And I'm not going to be able to do that without access to this power within me. Does that make sense? I'm going to have to improve consciousness of this power within me because that's not who I have been. Does that make sense? So they, they draw a pretty powerful metaphor there where, that, where I really am dependent on the spirit to be the man I hope to be. Yes? Okay. So um, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. How many of you have heard that? Like a lot, right? Does that make any sense in light of your experience? If all I needed to do was stay sober, why didn't I do that all those years ago before I ruined all those relationships, lost those businesses, torched the house? It makes no sense, does it? So what they said is, sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he has to do is keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't, but he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding as the patients mothers and wives have had with alcoholics, had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today, would perhaps be dead. Do we not owe our lives, quite possibly, to some people who kept supporting us in spite of all the evidence we were never going to change? Even people that came and visited us in situations that we didn't even know, they just showed us kindness when no one in the world wanted anything to do with us. Yes? Okay, so the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. So some people, when I, they hear me doing this, they think it's heresy that I'm saying this is not about abstinence, but it's never been about abstinence. They're so clear. A man is unthinking when he says sobriety is not enough. Look at your inventory. See who you've been. Look who you're growing into. Sobriety can't possibly be enough. It's freedom I need. Yes? Okay. Got to get free of me. Release me of the bondage of self. Yes? Okay. All right. So... He's like the farmer when he came up out of the cyclone shelter to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. So most of us in addiction have had that experience. Those of you that are coming out of incarceration, you're coming out, everything you ever built up is gone. Yeah. And so it's not enough to acknowledge the storm. I've got to acknowledge the rebuild. I've got to perhaps ask for a little help. I've got to acknowledge the part I played. I've got, to, I've got to let go of who I've been and walk into who I hope to be. Yes? Okay. So yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and we must take the lead. So now that I've encountered power, I'm not leading the power, but I'm following the power. And as a result, people will follow me if I continue to move in that direction. Does it make sense? Not, they're not following me, they're following this power that they encounter through me. So a remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. So how many of you did an inventory 
and had a, one view of the past and how you were treated and got to the other side of the inventory and you had a different view of it. And there were some people that you had no part in the harm they did you, but if you got to a place where you could at least get into a forgiving spirit eventually, did you not get free? Okay. How many of you discovered that things that you had done to people, no wonder they treated you the way they did? Any of you get, like me, just got so shitty to people that they didn't want me around, and then I was mad because they didn't want me around? So their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Creator, capital C, I'm being asked to show them the way. The world does not cause how I think and feel. The world reflects how I'm thinking and feeling. So if I'm being asked to be shown patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, then I'm going to start seeing evidence of it around me. I'm going to become a distributor of it. Does it make sense? Because I'm asking for power to be kinder than I feel like being. Make sense? Okay. So we don't, want to, we don't want to dismiss that. They do this every morning. A lot of times we get our prayers mixed up. We're trying to get overly religious. This isn't religion. This is relationship. All I need you to do is show me. Just show me who you want me to be and show me who you want me to be it to. Yeah? Show me the way. Got you. Okay, so the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. See, we've introduced you to the tangible power. They went to great lengths. This is not about doorknobs, light bulbs, groups of drunks, none of the crap you've heard for the years in fellowship. This is about deep down within you, there is a power and a purpose with a tangible sensory presentation of power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. And in owning who you've been and who you hope to be and then walking into that, you will experience that power. And as you awaken to the spirit, you'll be pointed to people who desperately need that spirit and you'll share the spirit with them and they'll get up and walk. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's not a theory. We have to live it. Notice how it does not say we have to work it, so work it because you're worth it. Because it's not a workbook exercise. I'm not trying to poke fun, but I want to call your attention to deceptions that have been put out there, and then you don't understand this is real. These were hopelessly lost individuals who wrote down their testimony of encountering power and walking into a destiny of healing for others. Does that make sense? Okay. So unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Again, another promise. Don't worry about the people that you're trying to drag along with you. Those people will see you and they'll eventually come to know the new you, the new creation that is you. Right now, have compassion because they're stuck with the old you. They can't get it out of their psyche. And so there's a whole family of people who desperately need your experience and who you are now armed with the facts about yourself. Work with them and these others will change in time. Make sense? Okay. So our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. So find a compassionate place for the people who still think of you. I got daughters to this day who still have that old drunken dad. Haven't been that guy in a long time. Guess what? I have compassion to them because they still live in that desolation that was being in a family that I was a part of. I have a much larger family today. I hope that my lived experience helps other people's sons and daughters. And if mine come around, so be it. And if they don't, then someone else can tell the story. Does it make sense? Okay. And don't, don't think for a minute it doesn't hurt. It absolutely does hurt. But I've, I took a calling, right? Addiction's a calling or a curse. I accepted the calling. So I go, what's the song say? If the wind goes where you tell it, so will I. Yeah? Okay. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. And some people cannot be seen, so we send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. 
We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. So they're warning you that there are some things that are going to be difficult. There are going to be some approaches that are difficult, but we're not asking you to humiliate yourself. We're asking you to go clean up the wreckage because at the point of wreckage, there was a humiliation. Once you own it, you'll walk out with an oil or anointment called humility. And you'll be better for the experience. Does it make sense? Not because we're telling you what to do, but because that's our experience. Okay. So if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Halfway through with what? Yeah, Sean always says four through nine. I think that's true because you're amending. You also got to remember that 12 is simply a byproduct of nine. You get fit enough in nine, then you do 12, and it's the big amends. So you may get experience your most growth when you're working with others. So we would encourage you to work with others because that's where you unpack. That's where you turn what you thought was a wasted life into a useful experience. Yes? Okay. So we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. What's new mean? Unlike anything I've ever experienced before. We would not regret the past, nor was to shut the door on it. Why? If I'm using it properly, properly armed with the facts about myself, my, my past can avert suffering for thousands. Yes? Okay. So we'll comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. What are the words they're using? They're talking about states of being. So think about that. Comprehend and know. How many of you desperately would like to know peace to sit even for a moment and not feel conflict within yourself it's promised it's promised as you grow in the spirit you will know peace okay um no matter how far down the scale we've gone we'll see how our experience can benefit others i'm in a room full of people that know that i hope you put it to practice no matter how far down the scale you've gone your experience can benefit another you're sitting in groups all day around here and you're you're strengthening your brother and your sister, and they're walking through this difficult experience. Yes, this whole thing. So your experience can benefit another, but I've got I've to work to develop the spirit so I don't get caught up in my own ideations and get a case of the fuckets. Yeah? Because that happens. Okay? So that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Why did the feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappear? Because I turned my thoughts to another I could help. And the minute I did that, I felt purpose in the moment. And we learn that and we just do it more and more. Does that make sense? Okay. So we'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Why? Because my ease and comfort from within comes from my ability to serve once I find out. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. How many of you needed your attitude on life to change? All of us did. How many of you have been sober a while, been free a while, and still need that attitude and outlook to change? Like on the regular, because I wake up just pretty sure all you people ruined my day. And I haven't even started yet. Any of you ever had one of those? Okay. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. And we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We'll suddenly realize that God is doing for us power. Very good. What we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? They are, though, aren't they? So why, the reason they did that is because us people in addiction, we're sometimes known to be a little bit oversellers, right? Sometimes we'll pitch. Any of you have ever had a hustle? So we had a tendency sometimes to overpromise and underdeliver, didn't we? So they don't want us to fall victim to ourselves. They said these are extravagant, but dude, it really happens. So they want to call us attention to our skepticism and say, no, 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 no. We know that you're a skeptic, but this really happens. So then it tells us, we think not. They're being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they will always materialize. If you'll work for them. That's it, folks. See you next week.